Hello, and welcome to another episode of the IT News Podcast. On the show this week, we have West Australian Government Chief Information Officer Greg Italiano talking about the state's digital transformation. Greg spoke to IT News as part of the 2021 State of the IT Report, which assesses how Australia's states and territories are travelling with digital government. Please enjoy. Thanks for joining us to discuss uh, WA's digital government progress as part of the IT News State of IT report that we're producing. And now I think the state has come a long way since then, but there's obviously quite a bit more to do. Um, so so with what I would call the foundations in place, uh, where is the Office of Digital Government now focusing its efforts? And is there a number one priority for the government right now? Yeah, thanks. I think um, I think you're right. I think some of the things to do the foundations are there, and uh, you know we have a new strategy, and we've certainly got you know the office now well supported, and we've been able to I think um, bring government along on on the journey, and and certainly COVID has helped with respect to government's appreciation and understanding of of digital and data. So where we're at right now is uh, we're very focused on the new strategy and, and, and implementing it. Um, in particular, I'd, I'd, I'd like us to see uh, an investment profile grow in services that will be noticed by citizens and will make a difference to their lives. So in terms of convenience and access, so that's a big, a big focus. But equally, the other areas of the strategy are important as much as improving online services. So uh, cyber security, if anything, the threat environment has deteriorated significantly in the five years timeframe that you refer to. Mm. Uh, digital inclusion has become very important, obviously, because of uh, what COVID has shown about the, the kind of divide that exists and the need to address that. And then, of course, data sharing, which has just a massive profile at the moment as well. Um, among other things, of course, that's been advanced by uh, all governments in Australia through an intergovernmental agreement on data sharing. So all those things, and of course, they do support one another. So obviously, so those four pillars and the new strategy, that's where our priority is. So on the strategy, um, you know, it was released fairly shortly, I think in June. There is a heavy emphasis on, I guess, reimagining citizen-facing online services. This is on every government's mind right now. How is the office planning to achieve this Um and you know, has it set itself a target for the number of services it wants available online? And and you know, what what is the baseline now? What how many services are currently available? It's a good question. I know there was a report back in around 2017 which remarked upon the very low level of online services. I I guess the 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 basic answer is we don't have a revision of that number. But what we do know is that we would like to see more services online. And we know some of the constraints uh, that prevent other government services and transactions being made available. So that's things like digital identity uh, and also having, I think, convenient and accessible services for, for the community. So we're working on those things. And we've also been uh, developing other platforms that would support agencies to leverage services such as uh, Tell us once capability, uh, e-forms, uh, and the like. So we we hope to see an acceleration with that, um, and and we certainly hope to see more services online. And what we also know is it's not just having the service online; it's got to have uh, those characteristics that make it easy to for people to interact with. And that's one of the pieces of feedback that we've been able to gather um, over the course of the last year. 
is that it, it's not helpful if they're not well organized. Right. So not just digitizing a service. Um, it's more about transforming that service and how it's delivered to them, completely revolutionizing the the, the experience for, for, citizens, for citizens, I guess. Yeah. And getting away from the fact that you access these services through their respective agencies, as opposed mm. to a single place to come to for government. So we think that's very important. And, you know, you obviously don't have a revision on the number of services, but are there a sort of a, a core um, range of services that you're going to look at first before moving on to those niche um, services that are, that are out there? So we're certainly targeting the high volume services uh, and, and, and a key area for us is regulatory area at the moment. So we've got a funded program around uh, environment online. So doing uh, approvals and assessments using those new capabilities. And those use cases translate very well into other areas of regulatory reform, whether it's in the mining sector or the local government sector. So we think we can accelerate and build off what we're doing with on Environment Online quite quickly. But we've also got those other high volume services, things like working with children, clearances and the like. So going after some of those services that have been prevented from being made online because of things like identity and the like is a key for us. You mentioned platforms like Telus Once and eForms. Are they the the whole of government digital capabilities that are referred to in the in the strategy? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah. we we've been obviously you know identifying those common things that are used across agencies, and then we're going to support agencies and 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 influence their direction so that those common platforms are used uh, as part of their transformation journey. And I remember reading in that strategy, they're one of the platforms as well that you're looking at is digital identity. It's one of the, the ones that everyone's looking at at the moment. Is that a near-term um, ambition for the government or is it something you're looking at more um, long-term? No, it's near-term. And um, I guess one of the advantages of coming a little later to the digital transformation uh, journey for WA is, you know, we've been able to I guess, investigate digital identity at a time when the Commonwealth's been investing very heavily in the MyGov ID and, mm. and also the TDIF has matured. Uh, um, so we, we uh, are currently connected in beta to the uh, MyGov ID um, and uh, we, we have plans to, to grow that and, and to use that identity um, service and others as they become available. Uh, the, prin the principle is we want to give people choice and we want to give them the ability, I guess, to determine what level of ID they want to use. And in some cases, that might be their social media identity to log on to a, a service that's just a, an information service or the like. And we also know the Commonwealth have ambitions to, to further improve their services up to the point where some of those uh, much more sensitive services might be able to be accessed through things like biometric identification. And would that work sort of hand in hand with the the single government portal, wa.gov.au, that you've been sort of building out over the last few years? So the way we'd see it working is you'd have a, a kind of a, a log on and, a, and, a, and a, an ability to log through that portal. And then you would be able to click on certain services. And when those services required uh, you to establish your identity, the citizen would be presented with a range of uh, choices in relation to identity uh, in the context of the service they're seeking. Uh, and then they would be able to establish that identity. Once having done that, when they log back in, then obviously that, that would not have to be repeated. So that's the type of service experience we're aiming for. And how about uh, Service WA? How does that sort of fit into the whole conversation uh, around the, the 
the single government portal and, and identity and that kinds of thing. Is service WA intended to be sort of just the um, the face-to-face interaction you might have with government and then you'd have the, the single government portal um, as the online interaction? So Service WA uh, to date um, has been primarily focused on a, a pilot in, in Bunbury, uh, which is a, a large, large city outside Perth um, in terms of regional cities in Western Australia. Um, and and it also has included um, under the Service WA banner uh, the funding for those digital capabilities that we were speaking about. So um, I think it's fair to say at the present time there are some decisions over, uh, sorry, in relation to what service WA will be in the future. Mm. Um, and that, that may well include um, this idea of, uh, you know, a conversion of channels in terms of, you know, face-to-face and digital and, and the like. So those things are playing out at the moment and, and we expect to be able to, you know, I guess really solidify what those next steps might look like in the next few months. Earlier on, you mentioned that COVID had played an impact or played a role in, in how the digital strategy was um, formulated, being quite recent. Did it really help to demonstrate the need for those digital services? And did it force the government to delay any initiatives that you might have otherwise stood up more quickly um, to focus on those immediate needs, those emerging needs that COVID brought? So it didn't delay anything um, and it certainly accelerated things. And I, I think most of my colleagues from other jurisdictions, perhaps with the exception of those like New South Wales already in a substantially progressed position, but everyone else would, I think, also say the same thing about COVID-19. So because digital has been so important um, and very high profile as well, so things like um, our border controls for our G2G pass uh, and our our check-ins in terms of safe WA, the way that we've had to use data, and exchange that between different parts of government as well as with other jurisdictions. Uh, All those things have happened, I think, more quickly, more decisively than we could have hoped. And I think because we've had compelling timeframes, it's it's kind of demonstrated that most of the time it's not the technology that's the the inhibitor, it's really just the will and the the determination to want to make change. So uh, it certainly had a very positive impact. And, um, you know, as much as it's obviously had a, a very, very adverse impact on our, our lives uh, from a digital point of view, I think that's one of the one of the positives, I guess, that's come out of it. Yeah, while we're on the, the topic of COVID-19, what role did the office play in, in the government's response? I think the Department of Health had quite a large role in some of the solutions that were rolled out. Did the office have any role in sort of, say, the development of the Safe WA contact tracing tool, for instance? Yes. Yeah, so um, in that particular case with Safe WA, um, I, uh, my office and myself uh, were involved in cross-sector coordination because uh, it wasn't just the development of the app, it was also the comms, um, the the relevant um I guess, directions that would be issued and the like. So there was a, a whole sector group that came together which um, for a period of time and I was responsible for coordinating that. Uh, we also uh, helped with the uh, cybersecurity assessments of the app uh, and got involved in just some of the, the uh, procurement um, decision-making. So we played a, a facilitating role in that case and health, right. health did lead that. Um, 
There are other things. We've we've stood up uh, virtual call centres for the sector. We've played a role in being a point of contact for data being received from the Commonwealth and then exchanged out to agencies and vice versa. Um, so things of that nature we've become heavily involved in. Um, so yeah, I think the office has, has played a, a very helpful role, uh, continues to play a role, of course. We're, we're not out of this by any means. And um, data continues to be very important, for example, things like you know vaccination programs and the like. So um, yeah, I think the office has, has played a very helpful role. Coming back to sort of, I guess, the broader uh, digital government transformation that you're trying to achieve, you've got the budget coming up quite soon. What are the kinds of things that we're likely to see in the, the budget on September 9? Yeah, uh, I guess uh, being a, a conscientious public servant, I'm aware I, I can't say a great deal about the budget until it is published for, for mm. reasons I'm sure you'll understand. But, you know, we're certainly conscious that, um, you know, to give effect to to, to the strategy, it, it needs um, it needs a support in terms of not just investment, but the investment approach. So mm. um, I think you know the best I can say is that we we we've, we've certainly been very conscious of that, um, and I think uh, let's see what's in the budget uh, when it's released. Of course, obviously the last couple of budgets now haven't have had a lot of funding for some of the core transformational projects you guys have been sort of focused on. Um, have you been constrained in, in, in that sense due to the level of funding um, previously? Look, I think anyone would say that resourcing is is essential. Um, I, I think it is true to say that uh, they're, they're, whether it be um, the Office of Digital Government or our government agencies that uh, investment levels by government in recent years have been at the lower end and, and that's obviously something that um, makes digital transformation more more difficult. Um, I think part of what we've been working on is trying to understand how it is that we can give greater confidence to government. As you know, um, you know it's it's a bit of a journey to uh, overcome past challenges and and where governments perceive there's been failures in the delivery of of ICT related projects and the like. So. Um, it's it's a bit of a timing question. It's a confidence question. Um, I'm feeling positive that we we've been able to make some ground there. Um, mm. And again, uh, you know, referring you back to my my answer around the budget. Um, hopefully, there will be some some proof that those conversations have matured and that confidence level has grown. I guess you've been able to sort of save money through programs like um, GovNext ICT um, a few years ago. Is that still paying dividends in terms of the budget or, you know, are you looking to other hosting arrangements in the future to try and, you know, generate the same level of savings um, in, in terms of what you can um, spend across government? Look, I've uh, probably been keen to talk about GovNext uh, and its benefits across a broad category of uh, benefits. And I'm not saying that to be cute, but uh, indeed, it has produced cost savings in some cases. In others, it's been about risk mitigation, um, resiliency, and better services. So, uh, GovNext has succeeded, I think, in uh, uh, the vast majority of agencies in the WA sector are now consuming from GovNext. Many have been able to make a transition across uh, multiple service towers. Um, so, look, in terms of getting us out of that very lumpy, unpredictable capital investment cycle where we kept feeding physical infrastructure and 
and and not really opening ourselves up to to broader transformational opportunities. That that transition's been substantially successful. Um, we've also seen with uh, WA.gov.au, we've seen a number of of um, agencies being able to shut down you know their existing websites and come across to the platform, which is which is among other things produced you know a a financial benefit. Um, so I'm. I mean, I think there's a bit of a bad history of, of over-promising around cost savings. So I guess in my term as GCO, I've been very cautious to make sure that we're, we're not overstating that and we're always making sure that there are a range of benefits. But over the long term, of course, uh, we know that if we're able to take a lot of transactions out of face-to-face -face and, and call centres onto the digital channel, ultimately, we are going to produce a more efficient sector. And... I think last year as well, WA set up a, a bunch of uh, cloud arrangements with uh, Microsoft and, and Amazon. It's a plan to sort of leverage public cloud increasingly, um, as I guess as well as the hybrid cloud arrangements under GovNext ICT. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think that um, I think most observers would say that in the time since uh, GovNext was established, that the um, you know the the market, the 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 service offerings, uh, the confidence around public cloud has has matured greatly, and I, I think uh, my sense is many of our agencies now are are looking to public cloud first um, to, for their transformation journeys, and that's something we we support and we're comfortable with. Um, that said, there will be agencies needing private cloud for some time because of the way that their architecture and their, their ecosystems are, are set up. But mm. uh, certainly from our point of view, those hyperscalers, the value proposition is very, very strong. There's a consequence we've worked very closely with our Department of Finance and, and also Commonwealth agencies to bring that, that value to the market. And we're, we're quite happy how that's progressing. I wanted to move now to cybersecurity. It's obviously another area that's quite dependent on uh, the level of funding. It's been an area of focus for the office um, in recent years. Last year, you stood up a uh, cybersecurity operations centre, I believe, um, to coordinate the response to incidents and, and improve the visibility of network threats and that kind of thing. But at the same time, cybersecurity has continued to be uh, an area of significant weakness in the, in the, the words of the state auditor general so and even appearing to go backwards in the case of last year so i was wondering you know how is uh the the office working with agencies to address these concerns and and what role is the cyber operations center playing in all of this so there's a couple of connected topics there that we need to just sort of i guess comment on so as far as the security operations center if we deal with that firstly so that went fully live uh from first of july this year so we did receive funding in a previous funding cycle, but uh, it's taken some time, obviously, to procure the capabilities, the people to mature the um, offering and to the point now where we have agencies connected and on service level agreements, and we're now actively monitoring those networks. And we obviously want to onboard more agencies during the course of the year. Uh, and that's working That's working quite well. And, and even in the, the short period of time we've been operational, we've We've been able to offer assistance to agencies, um, so that's that's encouraging, and mm. we think as more join, that will that will obviously grow. So we're, we're quite happy with that. Where we would agree, uh, broadly speaking, that the level of cyber maturity and resilience across the sector is not where it needs to be. Uh, whether that is um, in part because of you know some of the assessment work done by the Auditor General or 
our own uh, measurement program around what is essentially the uh, essential eight um, uh, controls, which you know we we as the office kind of embrace as the um, the measuring stick, I guess, and, and and in doing so, that puts us in line with most other state governments in terms of where the focus is on those those controls that provide us with the greatest level of protection. So. We've seen some evidence in the assessments against those controls that there has been some improvement, but I, I certainly wouldn't represent that it's been occurring at the rate we would like to see. So there's more work to be done there. Um, and of course, the, the, the difficulty around the threat environment changing. So uh, look, we acknowledge there's uh, more work to be done in the sector and, and we, we are looking at further steps we can take to do that. and. That's got a number of aspects associated with it from the services we provide um, and also how, how agencies can get support to uplift their, their, their particular situation. And some of that, if we look at one of our most significant weaknesses, which is around patching, a lot of it's got to do with agencies sitting on legacy environments as well. So mm. as, as we said at the outset, um, that modernisation of the environments and that contributes to, to a number of uh, outcomes um, and that includes uh, better cyber resilience. And uh, you mentioned the essential eight before. Is that currently mandated within government or is it still a, a recommendation only? So what we did was we took the essential eight and um, in good Western Australian fashion, we, we modified it slightly because we knew that if we went straight to the essential eight with where we were, that might be a bit overwhelming. So mm. we took the we took the five priority controls we thought would have the best impact, and that's what we've been focused on. They are mandated, so agencies are obliged to um, make progress against those five controls. Um, and in terms of the policy environment, we're currently uh, looking at that and... Um, we think we're getting close to that time where we we, we can uh, recommend that we should be moving to the, the full essential eight moving forward. So that that's currently in flight. Um, and part of the reason we can think we can do that is we've we've had a couple of years now working with those those five controls. So we think we're probably ready to take the next steps. The SOC is also being used as, I guess, like a, a training exercise. Um, I, I remember reading that that you're using it to train up TAFE um, grads or university grads, one of the two. Yeah. Is it just one of a number of programs that have been introduced to, I guess, assist with resilience? And, and what are some of the other ones that are um, on, the, on the table? So that student program is really important because we have a relationship with a number of universities and TAFEs where we actually outplace students into agencies to help do a bit of a rapid a rapid uplift, um, among other things, we, we do that. Um, we offer training. Um, we certainly help agencies with their policies and approaches. We've got collaboration going on across government where all the cyber people meet on a regular basis and talk about the strategies they're using. So it's multi-pronged, but our student program's been a real strength. Um, mm. And a number of the students that have come through have either uh, ended up uh, getting an opportunity with us or with other agencies. So that that's very positive. And of course, in a very competitive employment market, uh, it's those types of programs that government needs to access some of the talent we need to take this forward. 
And do you believe that will be a, a focus moving forward as well? Will the, the government continue to invest in, in those kinds of programs to uplift skills, whether it be you know cybersecurity or other emerging areas? Yeah, absolutely. So part of it is leveraging relationships with educational institutions. And the other one also is our, our big vendors, you know. Um, so you know, we've been able to drive some value uh, under the arrangements we have with the whole of government enterprise agreement with Microsoft, um, for example. Uh, where, you know, there are provisions within that agreement which allow, um, you know, resources to be set aside for the purposes of training and development, and we've had a particular emphasis on security. So, you know, we've got to use every possibility we have to, um, you know, to drive this, and, 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 of course, that means making the best of the resources you have. So we're always looking for those, those potential opportunities to do that. That was Greg Italiano, the Chief Information Officer for the West Australian Government. And that's the podcast for this week. We'll be back with an exciting new interview next week. Until then, you can check out the State of IT Report and catch all the latest headlines in Australian IT over at itnews.com.au.